Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Billy, old seventh year, continues to underwhelm as the Texans drop to 0-3 for the second time in three years with Deshaun Watson under But they find the life of the offense in the first half but pointless in the second. The now winless Texans go into week four against the Minnesota Vikings, hoping to revive some form of the season. Join, joining me to talk through this is Adam Wexler from 790 Sports Talk Radio Show host. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, good. Thanks, thanks for thanks for joining us. And uh, so I think at this point, you think, you know, where does this team go from here? Obviously, they, they can't do anything but try to get the first win. They finally play a team without a win. They've played nothing but undefeated teams so far this season, and it shows that they're nowhere near that level. I think the, the thought was this is a division contender. This is a playoff contender, and they just haven't shown anything that suggests that considering they're playing AFC playoff caliber teams and losing every week. I, I think the news this morning, though, is a little bit troubling, uh, for the even for the Texans with what's going on with the Tennessee Titans and their positive tests. Since the Titans played the Vikings last week, and the Vikings are another team that now has to suspend activities starting today for who knows how long. Vikings are supposed to head to Houston this Sunday, and there are supposed to be fans in the building this Sunday. Yeah, I think that was always the the elephant in the room for this season, although it's kicked off and the league's done a great job on that. You you wonder, you know, what, what will happen if a team isn't able to travel or a team isn't uh, you know, able to field a Field enough enough men out there that you know are are necessarily got negative or or, or hopefully negative te- testing and I I suppose I think the the league's mantra right through this has always been the show must go on but I suppose you know are we in a position where the league might award you know a victory could the Texans get their first victory on on the basis of default or I sure hope the NFL doesn't go that route and I would be very very surprised if that was their course of action I'm sure that's already been figured out how they will handle things like that in terms of record but. This will be a postponed game if it comes to that. Their Texans aren't going to get awarded a victory for staying healthy. Yeah, I think most likely they'll probably move it to the bye week or 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 you know or change some of the the scheduling around. But I suppose this was probably the league's worst fear. You've you got to hope if it's contained, then they can they, those guys just sit at home and uh, and and you know and the rest of the squad that's that's healthy will travel. But um, is it's definitely something to watch, and it's it was always going to happen at some point. You saw AG Terrell from Atlanta being the first player to miss COVID. Obviously, a young guy. Is it the question of these guys? You know, don't know how to behave away from the facility um, to, to stay healthy, or is it just bad luck? And that's I think what nobody knows right now. Um, so back back to on the field, and you know, assuming it all goes as all goes to plan. Um, I think we talked a bit on the show last week about a ceiling that's potentially on this team under the O'Brien era, and it feels like. The rest of the AFC South have improved, and we've not. Um, and you know, the history has shown us though that that O'Brien has has a tendency to, to to come back when it's you know when the chips are down, he's going to come back and, and pull a performance. This is year seven. Um, do you think this team's got it in itself to 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 get that seventh playoff spot that's been extended in the AFC this year, or or is or is there not enough signs of positivity here? Well, there's no signs of it, but that's absolutely a possibility. The math is obviously in, still in their favor, and I think that's what they're clinging to. There's 13 games left. All six of their division games are left. 
Uh, it's certainly a possibility, but I think it's also a masking of the problem. Uh, they've done this before. They've recovered from bad starts before. They've played bad football before, and then have usually come out looking okay. They've only had one losing season under Bill O'Brien, and that came in the year where Deshaun Watson got hurt. He managed to win nine games with terrible quarterbacks for several years before Deshaun Watson arrived. They've had back-to-back double-figure win seasons with Watson, but they had problems then, and those problems are so very evident now. They're actually in a worse situation uh, talent-wise, and they're in a worse situation financially with how much money has been spent and some of their commitments. So I I don't doubt that they can get out of this, and they have, and I, I I expect that they will to a certain extent. But 0-3 is a pretty sizable hole, and you know they went on a nine-game winning streak in 2018. That's how they got out of the hole. Those are pretty much unheard of. You, you have to play so much better in pretty much every single area, O-line, D-line, everywhere. And that's the problem because, as you noted, uh, the teams on their schedule haven't had these issues. They're not getting worse. Uh, they're actually doing what most teams are supposed to do, adding talent and improving. And the Texans just haven't shown any signs of that. And I think when you look at big picture for this team and O'Brien, you know, we're in year seven now, right? And it's it's not, it's, you know, we talked about the ceiling and is does he, you know, the way he coaches a football team or the way he's been able to, given the autonomy to build a football team. He seems to be hold, he's holding this franchise back, it would seem, because as you said, we won as many games, if not equal, with no quarterback. Now you have a quarterback and the rest of it's eroded. And you touched on investments there, Adam. And I think that's the the thing that, that probably you've got to hope Cal and Janice and, you know, the rest of the board are there in the in the background at NRG are looking at this. Because if you look at the investments O'Brien's made into this team and, you, you know, we'll quickly go through them, but how, you know, how did they impact us in the last three weeks as, you know, as we've got to this point? And if you look at the defence has been has, has been left talentless, we've let players walk out, not paid them. The players we have paid, like Whitney Merciless, is no, is no doesn't have the juice left. We've heavily invested in this offensive line. We can't run the ball or pass protect. And then guys like Nick Martin and then Eric Murray, even we've invested big money into it. And these guys are not performing or putting performances in on the field that's conducive to winning football games. It's as blatant and as blunt as you can be about it. That's the issue. They're, they're paying players to come in and give them, basically it comes down to playmaking. These, these guys don't make plays. Uh, whether you're talking about defensive secondary, you're talking about Murray. Um, and, and I don't really, in, in his case, he's played three games in a Texans uniform. Well, he was overpaid. That's not his fault. I think he's a reasonable enough player, but you can't go and put your roster together the way they have. The second extension for Whitney Merciless was foolish uh, and is showing through three games this year as it did through most of the games last year. Anytime he was on the field and J.J. Watt was not, he wasn't an elite edge rusher, and they paid him nearly like one. You know, they gave all this money to Bernard Drew McKinney a couple years ago. They gave money this offseason uh, right before the season started to Zach Cunningham. And while I think Zach Cunningham is, is a top-flight linebacker, it's still about making plays. He better go out there and have, you know, every, you know, tackles for loss. He's got to force fumbles. He's got to break up passes. He's got to stuff guys on third down. Uh, it's asking a lot, but you paid him a lot. Uh, and, again, you can go up and down the roster, and that's basically what you did. It's too many mistakes to overcome financially. For average football players, most of the players they've drafted are essentially uh, slightly above average. They're NFL caliber players, but you put a bunch of them on the field together and that's what you have. You have an average NFL talent level for the team and it just doesn't stack up. Every other team has playmakers, one, two, three deep at most positions and the Texans 
quite simply based on the evidence on the field. They, they just don't. They're the only team in the NFL that hasn't forced a turnover through three weeks. And that's losing, that's losing football. Uh, no matter how talented or untalented you are, the bottom line is uh, turnovers are probably the number one statistic in determining your success. And if you can't force any, you can't win. I think if anybody was questioning, you know, is Merciless injured or is he not there this season in terms of in terms of the juice, just as you said, a long looping outside rush moves, doesn't get to the quarterback. He's lost that bend and that sprightly uh, burst that he used to have off the line. And there was two plays on Sunday, I think, that probably just laid that out there for everybody to see. He was blocked and de- taken off his feet by by Big Ben. And then the worst one was was a was a third down. And Ben actually beat Big Ben, actually beat him to the outside, to the edge. And, uh, and and albeit it was still a fourth and one, which they converted. But when you're getting beat athletically by Ben Roethlisberger as an outside linebacker, I think that tells you everything you need to know. And what was probably compounded some of this stuff as well, Adam, was that the top three draft picks or three of the top four draft picks from this year's draft were healthy scratches. Yeah, I think that, you know, they've just... Again, the trading for Laramie Tunsil is, is now, you're feeling it on draft day. Technically, their first-round pick this year was Laramie Tunsil, and he's a five-year player, a five-year starter, and a Pro Bowl player. So I can accept that, and I can look at it realistically, but the easy way to, to look at it is here are the five five players you drafted in 2020, and none of them impacted the game in any way. Not a single snap on offense or defense for either uh, side of the football for any of those five players. Uh, one on IR, one, uh, you know, one inactive, two inactive, two three inactive. Uh, the only player that was even in uniform for the game only played on special teams. Uh, it's a very – and I don't really honestly think it's going to change a whole lot in the future. I don't think you're going to see players who come in and, and are basically non-contributors there for an entire year, and that's what I expect most of these guys to be. And then all of a sudden they become great NFL players. And drafting guys in the second, third, fourth, fifth round, you don't normally – you need contributors to the team in those spots. That's what the normal teams need from those selections – but the Texans aren't even going to get that out of them, most likely. Uh, so when you move picks out in trade and then you come back and don't accurately assess the talent in the draft, and I do like Ross Blacklock. I, I wouldn't close the book on him through three weeks of his NFL career, but they need more and they got less, and it's pretty obvious. Yeah, and I think that that's the issue, right, because you look at the – Tunsil trade or the or the issues with with uh, with, with shipping out Hopkins, and you, you, the return that they've got, you know, whether it be David Johnson, I don't think it's David Johnson's fault necessarily, but considering the amount they've invested in this offensive line, they can't run the ball at this stage of the season, and it's it's showing, and it, it's putting so much pressure on the pass protection because there were many times on Sunday there were long yards to go, uh, and it was difficult for the the offense to find any fluidity. And I think as well, when you look at Max Sharpen being subbed out for Celio Calamente as well, that just seems, again, a counterintuitive move when you've invested big in somebody and you're not getting the return that this team needs. Now, it leads us on to probably what was one of the few positives, I think, on Sunday was in the first half. Takes a three touchdown drives. Um, that 50-second drive at the end of the second half, they went spread formation, aired it out, got down the field 50 seconds and went and went ahead. They hit right back at Pittsburgh. And at that point, it kind of felt, oh, maybe maybe it was coming together. And this was what this, this you know, faster, more diverse wide receiver core was meant to look like, albeit for a brief spell. I mean, there's so many ways you could you'd look at it that they can't run the football. And it's almost like you're absolving the coaching staff and putting it all on the personnel side of things, which is fair because it's the same guy, Bill O'Brien. But 
How about not calling the running plays that aren't working over and over and over and over and over and over again? Uh, it's There's no gaps. There's no holes. There's nothing for him to do. Bill O'Brien even said this week when asked specifically, is there something that David Johnson could have done differently? The, the answer was from him was no. There, there's nowhere to run when they're setting these plays up. When they're coming out of the huddle, the play's already over. They can't succeed. And I just don't understand why they are were still so stuck with their same things over and over. And even that, why you're running on first down when you can't run. You're sort of torpedoing your own chances with your play calls. And it's been an issue a lot during the O'Brien era, and it absolutely remains one now. And that's the problem. You go get a guy like Johnson, who at the very least can help you in the pass game, and they're just not using him enough in that regard. You've got to set him out wide a few times. They don't use motion enough. I mean – as you notice through this interview, you name one problem area, I can name 10 others. It's it's too many things to overcome at once. And through three weeks, there's no sign of any of those areas getting improved. Yeah, and I think that's got to be the that's got to be the concern. And I think the the, the issue was in in the, in the second half where they did not achieve a point on the scoreboard. Yeah, the ball four times, three three of those series were three and outs. The fourth was a, a turnover. And I think that the issue with this team is that they need to consistently move the ball in a way that allows Watson to, to grow into the game, get into rhythm and, and do that. And they, they showed that by doing that up-tempo. But I think, like you said, Adam, it comes back to the coaching staff that they cannot scheme this scheme the talent available to them in a way that makes those players successful. It's stick to the scheme. And Bill O'Brien's, Tim Kelly, is all of the same. It feels like that they can't get to a position where they are going to be able to push push the ball down the field and make this offense work how it was intended but right at this stage it looks it looks insipid and I just don't I struggle to see a way out of it but as we said Bill O'Brien has an uncanny ability to try and come back when when it, the ships look down so in, into the second in the second half as well just couldn't run the ball um and it was good to see um Fuller and Stills get get um get on the uh get on the scoreboard in terms of that interception which probably killed it uh, did did you think he was aiming for Stills or I couldn't quite tell from the broadcast? Maybe he was aim, aim, trying to catch, catch Fuller, but he just left his pass short when he was on the run, Watson. It looked like he was aiming for Stills, and he should have been because he was the player most likely to remain open uh, as the three players were headed towards the football. But he actually said uh, afterwards he was trying to throw that to Will Fuller. And the ball slipped out of his hand, so it sailed a little bit. The receivers weren't too far from one another, but obviously the defensive back, Hilton, made a much better play on the football than Stills did. It was nearly a completion, but uh, he had other options, and that's where the growth of Deshaun Watson, again, far too much pressure is on him to do everything perfectly every single week, but you you got to take what's there. And what was there was a throw underneath Jordan Akins or David Johnson. I think Johnson could have come back for the football a little bit. I think he assumed Watson was going to run and he kind of turned around and, and started blocking. But before that, the, the play was there to be made, a five-yard pass to him. You got to throw in the middle of the field to Jordan Akins. Just take that. It's third and 15. You're on the 43-yard line. You get six, seven yards uh, you can make a decision. Do you want to then go for it on fourth and six or seven or eight? Or do you want to kick a field goal eight that you can make? And you have neither option uh, because you throw the football away. And again, you shouldn't lose because you have one turnover in 10 possessions, but you don't get any turnovers either. So you had one drive in the whole half. You had four drives. Three of them were three and outs. This is the only time they moved the football uh, for an entire half, and it ended in a turnover. It's just the ability to overcome mistakes from Watson 
uh, it's just not there because there's no help coming from anywhere else. Uh, if he has a turnover, they're they're sunk because they're not getting there's nothing coming back in their in their regard. Yeah, and I think that flips us on to the the opposite side of the ball. And you saw the disparity between the two defensive run units. Now, through three weeks, Pittsburgh lead the league in 16 yards before contact allowed in a run defense. Houston have allowed 237 yards before contact. And it, therein lies the problem, I think, of, of we've overinvested in the offense, not seen a return. But we cannot you know, defend the run. Now, it was very similar to the Baltimore game in where we... We held reasonably, you know, admirably for three quarters, gets into the fourth and they run a power running game, it grounds you down and the offense were on the field for, or sorry, the defense were on the field for 13 minutes longer than than, than their offensive counterparts. I think it was a case of we couldn't run the ball and your best defense of this Texans team was always going to be your offense. But do you think it's something that Anthony Weaver, who's, do, who's done an admirable job, I think, in terms of play calling and scheming and coverage, you know, bar that one, uh, which we think it was Lonnie Johnson, um, error and coverage. Do you think there's a way out for this defense to become at least uh, at least useful to, the, to this offense and hand them the ball back because they continue, as you said, Adam, to not have a turnover three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, their third down defense is bad, and if you don't think it's that bad, consider they've had teams uh, try f- to go for it on fourth down five times this year, and all five times they've made it. The idea of you know the defense always says we've got to get them off the field. Well, if teams are so confident they can gain the yards necessary on fourth down, well, the third down percentage then becomes skewed because each of those five times you got a successful, quote-unquote, third down uh, play from your defense. You did not allow them to convert. Well, then they just went for it on fourth down and got it anyway. Uh, So those numbers are going to be skewed to make them look better than they actually are. And the Baltimore game is really the one that stings, and it's not so much that they fell apart in the fourth quarter – is that their offense put all the pressure on them for no reason. Their defense was good against Baltimore. That's winning defense against one of the league's best offenses. We saw Kansas City was able to shut down the Baltimore offense. Teams can do it, even teams that aren't supremely talented. The Texans did. But the scoreboard is out of whack because the offense gave the Ravens two scores. Uh, You gave them a score at the beginning of the game when you went for it on fourth down. They turned it into a touchdown. Uh, from the 34-yard line, it would have been a field goal either way. You just flat out put points on the board for the Ravens' offense uh, when your offense decided to go for it on fourth down in your own territory there with a bad play call. I don't mind them going for it. I mind that they called a play that had so little opportunity to succeed. And then obviously the QT fumble literally puts points on the board when your offense uh, is on the field and your defense has nothing to do with it. Uh, Those two uh, touchdowns, basically put the game out of reach for the Texans. It put the Ravens in position where they could they were on easy street. They, they knew they needed to just run clock. And granted, they're a great run team, so then it kind of fell apart. I think it was more as much mental frustration for the Texans' defense as it was physical frustration. And they were worn down from playing three-quarters of football of trying to keep their team in the game while their offense was throwing the game away. Yeah, and I think... Zach Carrier missed some time, came back in the game. A.J. Moore looks like, he's, well, he has been placed on IR as of yesterday. A team without a turnover, as you said, it looked like to be working out safeties, one of which is Errol Thomas. Do you think Errol Thomas at this stage of his career, off-field issues aside, is that a risk to bring a guy like that who was thrown out on his ear from Baltimore? And uh, and can he still play at this stage of his career? And if he does, can he, can he be something that can turn a Texas secondary around, which is... Has been has been okay, but it's uh, it's nowhere near you know leading talent at any position. 
I mean, the word is desperate, and they are. And this is a move of a desperate team. Uh, he he was uh, the person, Earl Thomas, is what got kicked off the Ravens team. Uh, not the player, uh, but the player could still. He was still fine last year. He's been good throughout his whole career in two spots. He's he's a capable player. And yet we're three weeks into the NFL season. There's not a team in the league that wanted him in their locker room. And that's the issue. That's who he's perceived to be, whether that's right or wrong. That's what teams think he is. And that's certainly what the players on one team, the Ravens, think he is. It's a totally desperate move by the Texans. I'm not saying it couldn't work uh, because he's definitely an upgrade in talent. He won't know anything about what they're specifically doing, but he's a former Raven. Anthony Weaver is, is doing a lot of things that I think he'll see as familiar to what the Ravens were doing. Uh, Weaver being a former Raven himself and working under Rex Ryan, and I know Wink Martindale is the DC there now, and, and things are, are far from identical in terms of scheme, but Earl Thomas is a, it's a 10-year guy. He'll figure it out very quickly. Uh, he will be on the field. He will help this team. Uh, he does not fit their totally unnecessary but loudly screamed mantra of dependable, tough, smart, uh, Bill O'Brien has said that in you know nearly every offseason press conference about the type of players they want and the guys they have on the team. They've made moves that clearly show he has personal feelings about certain players and just basically doesn't want them on this team. And they've made moves accordingly. It's also hurt the team. And this is something that would fly in the face of that 100%. So I'm eager to hear what the Texans might have to say to that if this does become official. And if it becomes official this week, like I said, I don't, I don't, you don't go out and sign Earl Thomas if he's not going to be on the field. I would expect him to be on the field uh, fairly soon, as in this Sunday, if he signs. Yeah, and, you, and you've got to think that will sort of maybe end the, the Lonnie Johnson experiment. I don't know if this is an experiment, but I think a guy like that who is raw coming out of Kentucky, not played a lot of corner, and they move him to safety, and then it, you know, it, was, it was an accident waiting to happen, giving up that. Smith Schuster touchdown. I think it was a bad day for the Texans all, and it reminded me so much of the of the last time we travelled there with Fitzpatrick, and we took the lead, and they scored a couple of quick scores either side of the half, and it just turned the game in a in a, in a sense that we just couldn't get back. I think there was some 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 small pockets of momentum, and it'll be you know a testament to O'Brien, the coaching staff, and the mentality of the players if they can come back this weekend, um, because we saw you know turning to the AFC South over this weekend, we saw that. You know, Jackson, okay, Jacksonville maybe brought back down to earth by, you know, Fitzpatrick, as we just mentioned. Um, but again, the Colts made light work of the Jets. So, you know, I think this AFC South this year is is a strong, you know, a strongly contested division. And the Texans, you know, could arguably be, you know, the third or fourth worst team in this division through three weeks. I mean, you're, you're being kind. Uh, they're the worst team in this division. You only play 16 games, so the... Uh, crying about the schedule being set up the way it is doesn't carry a whole lot of water as you make your way through the rest of the season. Sure, it will soften up. We'll prove that you can win one of those games. They haven't been able to do that yet. Uh, Jacksonville has a win. The Colts have two wins. The Titans have three wins. They're the worst team in this division until uh, proven otherwise. I don't think they'll end that way, and I do think they are competitive with anybody in this division, and that includes the Titans. But they have to go out and do that. They have to prove that that's the case. They, they almost lost to Gardner Minshew last year in Houston, uh, for crying out loud. So it, it's not like their talent just overwhelms people. It's not like Deshaun Watson, who is clearly an elite talent, can carry this team and put up 40 points whenever he wants to and overcome other issues. Because if that were the case, he would be doing it. It's not, They're putting him in an, in an almost impossible position. I do think some of what they're doing offensively is uh, hamstringing him to a certain extent, but it's more about they call plays and somebody makes a mistake. 
uh, one of the offensive linemen gets beat, uh, one of the wide receivers is not on the same page with Watson, or Watson ultimately makes a, a decision probably pushed by frustration that, well, I've got to go make a, a Superman play instead of just taking the regular play. So they're, when they get to the division games, and they're still a week away from that, uh, they have to prove that they're a better team than this. That will, that will be their first opportunity really to prove that to these other three teams. Uh, two of them, certainly, Phillip Rivers-led Colts and the Tannehill-led Titans. Uh, those teams expect to be in the playoffs. That's why the Titans brought Tannehill back for the money that they did and did what they did with Derrick Henry's contract. And that's why the Colts spent $25 million on Phillip Rivers for a season. They have playoff rosters in their mind. And they felt like solid quarterback play, far from spectacular. You're not going to get that from either one of them. Uh, that would put him in the playoffs and put him ahead of the Texans. And so far this season, it absolutely has. I think what's interesting about Tennessee as well, they, they gave momentum last year down the stretch, but they certainly, you know, albeit from a couple of missed field goals, you know, failed to win games early. They've won, you know, two out of their three openers with a, a last-minute field goal, as they did with Minnesota. And I think the, the big thing going into this uh Sunday, assuming the game goes ahead. I've just seen uh, now that there isn't a single positive case in the Minnesota uh, roster or personnel yet. So hopefully that, that continues. But a team that can run the ball and will be coached by Gary Kubiak, um, it's going to be a lot of outside zone stretch plays. That If you watched how the, how the Steelers ran a lot of those plays off tackle, it doesn't bode well in terms of confidence, in terms of this run defense being able to find a way to stop you know, Dalvin Cook. I mean, you look at who they've played through three weeks, and it'd be pretty safe to say they're now playing the best running back. They might not be playing the best running game, uh, best running team, but Dalvin Cook's the best running back they will have faced, and he comes in off of another successful game. Uh, the uh, Vikings obviously know they need to lean on him because when they lean on Kirk Cousins, uh, that's bad. Uh, he's a mistake-making quarterback, was in Washington is in Minnesota, and it's the big reason why they're not going to accomplish anything there. But it's not to say that they can't come in and succeed offensively against this particular defense. So uh, they have their work cut out for them again. This is, is no slouch, despite the fact uh, that they are 0-3. There's no way they should have lost to Tennessee last week, but that's the kind of team the Vikings are this year. And, and I know the Titans, just getting back to them for a minute, have had three close games and two wins on late kicks uh, they are going to be like that most of the year. That's the way that they play. That's the way they're designed. They're a grinded-out team. They're a clock-eating team. And I think last year, Vrabel wanted to kick a billion field goals, just had a terrible kickers and bad luck. This year, he's showing he wants to do the very same thing. He, the work they're giving to Goskowski is insane. And I don't know if that will hold for an entire season and produce as many wins as it has so far. But, again, uh, it's it's on the Texans to fix their own issues uh, they're not going to win this division unless they beat those teams, and they're not going to beat those teams unless they've fixed their own problems. And again, when each of the areas of if personnel is a problem, scheme is a problem, that's a huge issue. Yeah, and I think the issue, I think the issue with that, well, this game, I think, and, and it was the question of week one, and you see narratives repeating itself because, as you said, you know, the weaknesses of this roster are a plenty. But the big question of week one against the Chiefs was they had, you know, their main corner out. There was inexperienced players coming in, a converted safety in Lejarius Sneed who picked off Watson on a good game. The question, I think, again, this week will pose itself, and it's not going away. Can the Texans receivers go and attack their corners? 
Uh, Cameron Dantzler struggles since he's coming into the league this year. They've had huge turnover, losing all the personnel up there. I'm not sure if Danelle Hunter will be back from his first three weeks out. So, you know, obviously we've got Yannick Ngokwe, a guy who we can't get ahead of. But if this Texans offense can't impose a decent points tally and yards this season, better than they've done the, the first three weeks, I think it could be the the game's result could be slipping in a similar way that these first three weeks have done. It's the worst defense they've played, even though you ran down some of the, the attributes that they have. Uh, there's no re- the, the Texans, if they're not up to, to the task against this team, personnel-wise, talent-wise, then you can pretty much clean house. And I'm ready to make that decision anyway. I don't know if that they'll do it in the season because of the way they've set up their front office and coaching staff with Bill O'Brien holding so much power. It really puts the team in a bad position. Normally teams that fire a head coach in the regular season during the season, uh, they expect an improvement. They have a plan in place, even though that coach might not be their choice long term. Uh, they believe it can help for the future and, and make this team in a bet put this team in a better position moving forward. And in this case, I don't know how you would do that because if you're firing Bill O'Brien and keeping the OC, you're basically keeping Bill O'Brien because Tim Kelly is Bill O'Brien. Uh, and that's not going to do anything for you, not to mention the fact that they don't have their first-round pick. They don't have their second-round pick. But I do expect you know, this team would have to do things differently in the way they play. It can't just be based on winning games. If they get out of this 0-3 hole for the second time in three years and win football games and produce a 10-win season and get to the playoffs, unless there's extreme playoff success, they can't, fall, they can't get fooled again. They've been fooled before by this team recovering and by what Bill O'Brien has done. And the, the team won't fall apart. The team will stay together. But they're not playing good football, and they haven't played good football under this team, good enough football to really compete at the level that should fit the type of quarterback they have. So uh, I think a change is in, is in the future. I think it's something that I don't know when the owner, Cal McNair, will come to that realization. But the product they're putting on the field is absolutely screaming for it. And, and again, and, unless they – they, they have to do things different. It's not winning. They can't go out and win 20-17 to 17 playing the same type of football they are. They have to do things differently, and I don't expect to see that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's, you've still got 16-game stretch, and it, and it does soften, you know, in terms of opponent quality down the, down the stretch, and, uh, and, you know, we'll see as, the, as these weeks come by. But as it pertains to this week, I think this is the worst offensive line we've gone after. So if, if Whitney Merciless... What did you know? JJ Watt can't consistently get pressures, and other, you know, and other guys um, who who have kind of flashed here and there. Charles Amani, who Jacob Martin, if they can't do it against this line that we're going to see on Sunday, I think that's probably the acid test that these guys maybe aren't quite as good as we maybe hoped to be, or thought you know, or thought they are. And I think as as you said, Adam, if this turns into an zero four star, which has never happened before. I, th- I think certainly from some of the sentiment of the fan base, there's almost an acceptance that maybe this needs to happen to clean house properly. Because when the Texans brought in Bill O'Brien, they didn't clear house with the GM. Rick Smith was still here, and it wasn't a complete sort of philosophical fresh start. They tried with Brian Gain halfway through, a sort of half-baked solution. But I think almost at this point now, you know, we've seen you know the 9-10 win season get you know knocked out in the playoffs at an early stage. Okay, be it blow a twenty-four point lead last year, but I, I, for me, I'm at the point now where I think, you know, some of the some of this pain now is maybe necessary, so we can so we can get a fresh start and we we can realize Watson's potential as an as an elite player in the league and not let it go to waste and not let the the ownership by fooled by you know O'Brien and and his and his and his continual power grabs in, in, in the front office. 
It's just a matter of when does the owner see what everybody else sees. And, and I don't know the answer to that because they definitely believe in what he's doing or else he wouldn't be in the position that he is. He was the driving force towards bringing uh, Jack Easterby into the organization. And Easterby now has an incredible amount of power uh, for someone who just basically hasn't done any of the jobs he's doing here in Houston ever before. Um, and he has all that. Uh, he's basically the general manager of this team uh, with Bill O'Brien. And there's obviously things your head coach is not going to do during the season because he's the head coach. And even though he technically is entitled the general manager as well, those duties are being done uh, by Jack Easterby. So like I said, this, this firing of the head coach for most organizations, that's it. You fire the head coach and you task your general manager with hiring a new head coach. You figure out which coaches on the staff, which usually have a backgrounds elsewhere also uh, are ones you want to keep. And, and this team is set up so they really can't do that. I don't know how you fire Bill O'Brien and keep Jack Easterby. I don't know how you fire Bill O'Brien and, and keep many, if any, of the coaches on the staff because they're all his. They're his type of coaches, his guys, the guys that he's brought in and guys that know his system. And in case of Tim Kelly, that's all Tim Kelly knows as an NFL coach. He's never worked anywhere else in the NFL but for uh, Bill O'Brien. It's the only offense he knows. So he, the offense doesn't change if he stays. So. Uh, you're in a, a very unenviable position. And like you said, 0-4 has never happened before. And if it happens here with the amount of promise they had, with the uh, upheaval they had with the roster this offseason, with a lot of money spent on new players and the best player you had on the team, not named Watson, uh, being sent away for very, very little return, uh, you've put the pieces in place that should open the eyes of the owner to realize if you've done all those things and it's given you an 0-4 football team, something's wrong. Yeah, and I, I I almost feel duped to the sense that you, you know you kind of wanted to believe in the last season they showed progress, prime time wins against New England, you know go to Kansas City and win, and there was there was signs of progress, but for the the off season moves to pan out the way they've done, and then to regress so badly in this in these first three weeks, it's all it almost kind of gets to the point enough's enough, and that was my reaction when I heard about the Hopkins train, Mike Zatwards, where he's gone too far this time. And I think from a footballing point of view, and that's the only way this franchise will make, you know, discernible change on the field is when the results stop, you know. And I think with the return of fans this week, I think there'll be 13,000 in NRG Stadium. If this team goes 0-4, do you think that's enough to then get that narrative into the national spotlight that might actually start turning the heat up for a guy who's had a pretty free ride? And actually, when you watch them in his press conference at the end of the Pittsburgh game, he didn't feel it didn't look like a man that was feeling the heat. I mean, I, I think he's a guy. Most coaches are like this. They want to win. Uh, the heat that comes with it is something that doesn't really get to them or bother them or, or it's really a factor. They, they're realists. They understand. He knows they can't lose football games and expect to keep his job. He's a, he, he gets it. Uh, and I, I'm sure he realizes it, but it's not like he's going to answer a question. Yeah, I'm coaching for my job or I'm making decisions to try to keep this job. He's making decisions to win, which obviously would correspond to keeping his job. So I don't think it's it's really any different for him now, uh, different than when they were 0-3 a couple years ago, different when they were 0-2 before that in another season. And and at all at the end of these seasons, he he's doing, again, in his mind, what he thinks will put this team in a better position. It's just they're working from behind so many different barriers, but they're all barriers that uh, he himself has, has put in their way, whether it's personnel acquisitions, poorly allocating their funds, bad drafts, all those things, uh, they all fly into that. So I, I don't think there's, it, I don't think he's going to approach the week, the game, the media sessions any differently than any other 
game or year because that's just not that's not to what coaches do. He, he knows he's coaching for his his job, even though we all think he can't be fired and there's no way they're going to do it. And they've given him an extension. That's all there. But this would be the first owner in history of the NFL that doesn't mind having their fans think they're a joke. And if they're own four or own five or own six or whatever it is, that's what the fans will think. And any owner can see that. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it's been a, a number of decisions that have all led to that. And now we're starting to see it, you know, bleed on the field to the point where Watson can't cover up for the mistakes they've made. And some has been bad luck and some of it's just been pure naivety, as you said, you know, the fact that Jack Easterby is negotiating multi-million dollar contracts is, is uh, beyond me. Um, I know he's got help with Kevin Karovich there, but it feels like too much power has been given one way, not enough perspective and not enough new, fresh ideas coming into the building. It's been his way at all. And I, I think finally it feels like he may have run out of run out of uh, room to room to maneuver, but we will wait and see. Adam, thanks very much for joining us again this week. I uh, really appreciate the time. Oh, you betcha. That was uh, Adam there from Adam Wexler from Sports Talk 790, the host of the A-Team 3 till 6 p.m. Central. Thanks very much again for listening this week. Hopefully we'll be back for the first time this season to discuss a Texans win. COVID aside, no negative test from the Vikings. Hopefully they will make it to, to Houston in one piece with a team to go and play a football game in front of fans in NRG Stadium for the first time. Please continue to like and share the podcast, subscribe, and you can send any messages at podcasttexans at gmail, podcasttexans on Twitter and on Facebook. Thanks again for joining and we'll speak to you again next week.